Hello and welcome into the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and oh my god, a lot has happened so in just the last couple days since the last show. Okay, so esports have gone absolutely insane. Sports are finally making real plans to come back, and we have just regular games to talk about this weekend. So we're just going to jump in straight with the, the controversies first, because I have a lot to say about both of these situations. So this one's been a bit of an ongoing story. The other one was a little more recent. The first one is obviously this Lena double lift Dardock TSM disaster that's been going on all week because obviously the the whole Lena and double lift thing was initially just like okay it's kind of weird that a player is dating the president of his team but they've been dating for a while and it was almost worse when he was on liquid so that's not a huge deal I definitely get the massive conflict of interest that comes from a situation like that. And now it has been proven because Lena does not know Mike etiquette at all. Treat every mic like it's hot. Don't say anything anywhere near a mic. You wouldn't want anyone to hear. These are basic principles of microphones. You know your boyfriend is streaming and you know the numbers he cu- he pulls in on Twitch. You know what kind of numbers he's doing on a daily basis when he's streaming. He's one of the best AD carries in North America. Dude is going to draw numbers on Twitch and he's a big personality. So he is going to draw numbers on Twitch. If you're going to be conducting business conversations with sensitive information, don't do it in the same room as your boyfriend who is streaming. I don't care if you think you are out of the range of the mic. You are in a room with a hot mic. Don't do it. You brought this on yourself and your apology sucked. Her apology was terrible. She tried to blame Doublelift getting a new PC and his audio settings being different. Now look, He can have different audio settings, but depending on where she was in the room, she was going to be in the general pickup pattern of his mic. Because mics that you talk into, like the one I'm using right now, is very similar to the one Doublelift uses. It's called a cardioid mic. It means it has a heart-shaped pickup pattern. That area outside of the front of the microphone is where it's the best at picking up sound. Which means it's got a very wide area that it's able to pick up sound from. So, if, and I don't know how big his streaming room is. I have no clue how big Double F streaming room is. But if it, it doesn't seem like it's that big. One, they live in LA, so it is more than likely not that big. And two... Just have some sense and don't have this conversation in a room with a hot mic. Her 
excuse and her apology were just straight up terrible. Like, you have destroyed Dardock's negotiating leverage as a free agent for good. I mean, it's well documented that he has some attitude issues. That's probably why they wanted to make this trade and maybe why they are having so much trouble dealing him. But now it's going to be really hard to find a trade partner because even if there was a potential trade partner that you hadn't talked to yet or some other teams could be convinced, now if no one wants him, they're not going to pick... If you claim that no one wants him, that means there's something wrong there and no one's going to want to pick him up. So you've... One, you've opened TSM up to a potential massive lawsuit because I could see a few things there. Uh, Defamation. Possible slander? That one might be a little bit harder to stick, but definitely defamation. Um, He could sue you for the potential lost salary if it may... because it's going to be harder to find a new team and if he does find a new team they probably won't pay as much because he lost negotiating power uh violate potential violation of privacy there is a lot (laughs) that could come down from this there is there is a whole lot of stuff that could potentially come down from this and it's not good It's not good for TSM. And Reggie issued his own apology and his apology was better. And he talked about the whole video that Thorin released. That's eight years old about him saying some very terrible stuff. I don't hold that against him because it was eight years ago. People change. Now they've made some other terrible decisions and it's pretty well documented by people in the esports journalism scene, like like Jacob Wolf in particular, who said, "Oh yeah, I always have a terrible time dealing with TSM." They he used the term blackmail and blacklist, so that's not two things you want a journalist to say about you as an organization, and. I've even seen TSM fans who are saying, okay, I really don't like the way they're running things right now. And I can't say I blame them. That team is a complete mess at the moment. PR is consistently getting worse for them day by day. And guys like Thorin and Monte Cristo and Richard Lewis, they're going to have a field day with this. Because that's their job. These guys are absolutely going to have a field day with this. Travis Gafford's probably going to stay out of it because he has his own conflict of interest when it comes to this. Because, you know, Doublelift's his best friend on planet Earth. So, Travis Gafford's probably not going to get involved too much. But the other guys will. Especially Thorin. Like, Thorin has been all over this. And he's just been laughing it up. And he has every right to, because he was one of the first people to call out the potential problems of 
you know, a member of the TSM League of Legends roster and a TSM front office executive dating and living in the same apartment. There's some very real problems there because if she's having this conversation on the phone while he's in the same room, while he's streaming, what do they talk about when he's not streaming? Because clearly she has no problem talking about this in front of him. Even if she's not talking to him about it, she clearly has no problem talking about this kind of stuff in around him. And to imply that, that every player in the LCS knows the situ every single detail about the situations of their teammates and members of other teams is kind of insane. That's completely insane. Like, I don't think every single player in the LCS knew that TSM was looking to trade Dardock. Maybe everyone on TSM knew. Maybe that's true. I could possibly see that because maybe the team had talked this over already. But there's no way of knowing that. There's no way of confirming whether or not that's true. Unless everyone on TSM all independently confirm it. Which I don't think they will because TSM like I mentioned, is not very open to journalists. They are not super transparent about stuff like this, and hopefully this teaches them a lesson about transparency. Because when you're open with stuff like this, people don't react this way when you leak things in maybe the dumbest way possible because of a lack of mic etiquette. (laughs) It is something so simple. They teach freshmen this in audio production classes is how to be careful around microphones. They teach that to college freshmen. She is a high ranking member of TSM's front office. Um, She may not have that kind of training, but you're dealing with PR people. You're dealing with PR. You as much as you may not want to, you are dealing with the media. You should know a little bit about this stuff. Especially when your boyfriend is a Twitch streamer. You should know how to be careful around a mic. It is that simple. Like, I don't see how this ends any other way than Lena being forced to step down. Because the PR is just that bad. It's probably only going to get worse. Because... Let's be real here. People are going to start speculating. They already have that maybe she's already told him more than he's supposed to know. Because really, players aren't always supposed to be aware of the decisions the team is making. Now, if it directly involves them, sure. But if it involves one of his teammates, why is that any of his business? Unless it was just a straight up kick where they were, where the team came together and was trying to get rid of this guy. And they didn't want to do that. They didn't want to kick him. They didn't want to cut him, leave him without a contract. They wanted to try to trade him, which I can respect. But they just went about it the entirely wrong way. And 
We're still a month out from the summer split. This is only going to get worse. The only way I see this ending is Lena stepping down. And what is her job? What is her job? Because we've gotten conflicting stories from her and, and Reggie. According to her, she is heavily involved in LCS roster decisions. According to Reggie, she has almost no say in that and is more involved in scouting talent in other games TSM is not currently as heavily involved in as they are league. So what is it? I mean, her job could have changed since the double F trade where it's like, okay, we can't have this whole situation and have you in charge of the LCS roster. There's just too much potential for conflict of interest there. But what is her job? Does she have any say in LCS roster decisions or not? Or is she just the expansion scout? What is her job? And now that's all muddled. So no matter what they say, we kind of have to take it with a grain of salt because you're hearing two different things from two different people. They, I mean, I know quarantine and everything, but they couldn't text each other and get their stories straight. So they all said the same thing when it came to asking, answering the question of what her job is. Uh, this is a mess. And TSM's going to feel, TSM's going to feel the fire on this one. Like I said, I don't see any other way this ends than Lena stepping down as president of TSM. That's the only way I see this ending. Because the league community is not going to forget. This isn't just going to blow over. It's gotten too big for that now. And as careless as she is around microphones, this will probably happen again. And how kind of aggressive and dismissive and just straight up mean she can be on Reddit. Like this is only going to get worse. This is only going to get worse for her and it's only going to get worse for TSM. And hopefully they do something smart before it's too late to fix. Because they're a legacy North American org. And they are a prominent part of the North American scene. So I don't want them to get completely wrecked in this, but maybe they'll see the light and change some of their ways and be a little more careful around microphones and maybe be a little more transparent with the media. Because if you're transparent with the media, stuff like this doesn't happen. If you're transparent with esports media, they won't go crazy with stuff like this when you leak things. They just won't. Because they know you're willing to play ball. It's really simple. So hopefully they figure it out, but I don't know if they will, considering some of the decisions they made so far. Now, on to the other one. There's another... I don't even know how this stayed under the radar for four years. 
because anyone who has listened to the show knows I'm not a huge CS guy, but I know about all the skin gambling stuff where like it almost wrecked the scene, at least for CSGO where you had multiple, if not straight up illegal, very shady gambling sites where that were essentially scamming miners because all of the people involved in running these skin gambling sites would post videos of them getting really good stuff on there, acting like they were just partnered, like they were just sponsored. When in fact they were owners of the company or at least maybe not had a stake, but were had a position of power and would get really good stuff. And it was probably not legit. And they use those videos of them like freaking out because they've got, they got ridiculously rare skins that on the open market are worth a couple thousand dollars, if not more. And they would use that to inevitably scam miners out of their parents' money. Like, the kids who were playing CSGO at the time, a lot of them were way too young to gamble. And way too young to have their own credit cards or bank accounts. So they were gambling with their parents' money and usually not coming up with anything good. A skin that's maybe worth a quarter. Maybe 50 cents. Maybe you get lucky you get one that's worth two bucks. It was a total scam. And now, four years after the fact, four years after shutting it down, FaZe Banks admitting admitted to owning and running one of these sites. It's called CSGO Wild. And... Oh boy, there is a lot to unpack on this one. One, he clearly shows no remorse for what he did because we all know just by the nature of these sites, he was probably scamming miners out of money. Two, it was definitely illegal. Or if not super shady, because one, he set it up in Antigua. So already, sketch. He admits to flying to Antigua and bribing a government official to get the license to run a gambling site because it's super easy to do that there. Because, you know, that's that's where all the offshore sports books exist is in Antigua. And they're all very illegal. At least as far as the U.S. is concerned. They're legal in Antigua, but they're very illegal in the U.S., And these are essentially American companies that are just operating them offshore. And it's not technically illegal, but it really, really should be. And there was a big crackdown on the CSGO skin sites. And Banks claimed his was was legit. I don't think it was. Because, like I said, he admits to bribing a government official to get the license to operate this this site. And they just shut it down willingly when the crackdown came because they were legit. 
I don't buy that for a second. <laughs> and and now it also came out in that same interview that they were using the money from this quite possibly illegal skin gambling site to buy a CSGO roster because they didn't have enough money to do it any other way. They wanted to get into CSGO because they thought there was money there, which really there isn't. There, there isn't actually that much money in CSGO because of all the sponsorship issues, but it's a very dedicated bait. It's a very dedicated fan base that exists within the CSGO scene. It's incredibly dedicated. Like it's insane. That game came out in 2012 and it still has a massive player base. So in 2016, it was doing even better because the game wasn't that old. And he admits to using this money to buy what eventually became the, the G2 roster and turn them into phase because he wanted to get in on CSGO. But he scammed miners to do it. And he just came across like such a massive, massive douchebag in this interview. Like I already kind of thought he was anyway. I really, I'm not a huge fan of what phase does. I, I think their, their whole bad boy image is kind of dated. It's very early two thousands. And like pushing into the like mid 2010s, like it's, it's a very, it's like a relic of, of bygone era of esports. Like I, I gush about them on the show all the time, but hundred thieves has done what phase wanted to do without being massive douchebags about it. And that, that doesn't go to everyone in phase that goes to mostly just banks. Like I like certain creators that are part of phase, not him. And he calls it, he called it finessing the internet. He wanted to find these quote unquote internet kids who could just finesse or break the internet. So scamming. And now he's kind of positioned himself as a mentor to people like Ewok and high sky who are underage and are doing really well for themselves and got phase contracts. And I don't begrudge them that at all. I I don't like they, they both work their butts off and got signed to one of the biggest organizations in North America. One of the, and one that's very personality driven, which is insane when you're that much under 18. It's just a matter of like, can we really trust this guy to position himself as a mentor to minors now? I don't think I can. I mean, he's uh, people have been calling him for, for him to step down too, which is even more insane because he's COO of Phase Clan. He's one of the founders. 
and COO. I don't think he's ever going to do that. But this is a big, big mark on his reputation because he denied running CSGO Wild four years ago. And he just goes on this podcast and just straight up admits to running CSGO Wild four years later and basically being a total con artist about it and thinks we're not going to notice and is trying to shut people down like he did four years ago when everyone was at least a little suspicious of the fact that he may have been running CSGO Wild along with along with Rain. I don't know. I I never really liked the guy, but this this just is another hit to his reputation in my book. Like he's he's gonna have to do some serious damage control on this, and even if he does, I don't know if I'll buy it because he's clearly shown no remorse for what he did. Because G2 was a good CSGO work. They were one of the best. And he just bought their roster out from under them with money he ripped off of people just so he could get into CS. That feels like a problem. And like I said, I'm not even a CS guy. That's that's not my game. That's not my scene. And, and it still feels just just gross. And hopefully, I don't even know what, what should happen with this. I don't know if he should step down as a COO of phase. I don't know what's going to happen here, but it's it's got to be something. Like he can't just keep going on like this. <laughs> because now he just comes across as the biggest liar one of the biggest liars in all of esports and gaming content creation. Like he's his reputation has taken a serious hit. You have the the Tifu lawsuit, which was an still ongoing disaster, and now and now this something's got to give here with Faze. Or their reputation's gonna go down the crapper for good. What do you guys think on both on Lena and Double Lift and all that TSMS and the whole phase and phase banks and phase rain thing with with CSGO Wild? And is it a little weird that after denying it at the time, he just admits to it on a podcast four years later, like no one would put two and two together? What do you guys think? Let me know on Twitter at RealPatterson50 at Mashup underscore pod. But that's what I've got for the double dip of controversies we had this week. Up next, big news in a off week for the CDL. It's not as crazy as the two stories I just went through, but there's a lot to unpack here too. We'll get into that next here on the Mashup. Even in their off week, the COD League brings us some news. And, man, these are these are two doozies. 
one is significantly more reliable than the other. Just because I I got the, the first one from more reliable sources and this one's getting much more traction. The first one is that players have asked the league to remove domination from the match setup and replace it with capture the flag. Now, I don't know if you've played capture the flag in the new modern warfare, but it's not very good. The maps are just the right size to be really bad for capture the flag. They're really bad for that particular game type. And I mean, domination isn't great either because there are certain points where it's just a mathematical impossibility for one team to win. And sometimes that can, it's very rare, but sometimes that can happen before the first half is, is over. So I get rid of getting rid of domination and I don't know what else you replace it with, but capture the flag, but it's still, it still feels kind of weird to do this mid season because it's not like these players haven't played domination before. It's one of the traditional call of duty match types. It was always team deathmatch, domination, search and destroy. They were the big ones. And over time, hardpoint and kill confirmed kind of became part of that, that system as well. And then obviously all their hardcore variants. Oh, and headquarters, but headquarters would not work for competitive play at all. Because that's another one where it's basically just a, a mathematical impossibility. And that game can lead to blowouts of epic proportions. So obviously, Capture the Flag is probably the best choice, but it's still not necessarily a good choice. I mean, it's probably still better than Domination. Because Domination is kind of boring. It's very similar to Hardpoint, but not as interesting. <laughs> because you don't have to stay in, in one set area to keep scoring points while you're playing Domination. As opposed to Hardpoint, where you do. You have to, you know, stay in that tiny little box and rotate with it as the game progresses. In Domination, it's three set points. And once you capture them, as long as you can keep it captured you'll just passively score points. So I get wanting to get rid of it because it's not as exciting. It's not as likely to hook in casual viewers because hard point and search and destroy makes sense. It's like you stand in this area, you score points. You destroy this objective or just kill the entire other team. You win. Like, those are pretty straightforward. Domination is, is much more complicated, but everyone knows how Capture the Flag works. So I can see the logic here. I mean, obviously none of this has been officially confirmed yet, but CDL Intel is one of the better sources out there when it comes to Call of Duty esports. And they were one of the first ones on this. I definitely trust their sources because... 
I feel like their sources are just professional players. So I 100% trust most of CDL Intel sources. One of the other things that's floating around out there is I think even more interesting and the pieces of the puzzle definitely all fit together. It, it makes sense to me why and how this could happen because for the past couple weeks, Pristini has been out of action. Initially we all kind of assumed it was a mental health thing, but when he was possibly ready to come back, they kept him out and put Pharaoh in instead. And I don't really get that because him and Pharaoh would work really well together. If you maybe took havoc out, I think that would be a better version of the Florida lineup, but they decided not to do that, which means what are you going to do with Prestini? Cause he's a ridiculously good player and just keeping him on your bench is not the the best idea and maybe they are maybe he is still holding himself out willingly but I don't know because now Chicago also may or may not have benched gunless because that's still kind of murky it seems like they they probably did because general was screaming in his place But Jenner also said, I hope I get the chance to start soon. Meaning, he has not been guaranteed a starting spot at the Seattle event. So when you put all those pieces together, it makes me think Chicago may be planning a move to reunite the Twins. And why not? They were killer together on E-United before... Before the Cod League even started. Like, those two dominated together. They won a world championship together. Like, they're a legit duo who any team would be very lucky to have them both. And I think this season so far has proven that they are both very much worthy of respect as individual players. When you put the two of them together, they're unstoppable. And hopefully that hopefully gunless can land on his feet because I think he is a good player and he deserves a shot. But if you have a chance to reunite the brothers, because Arsides has even said he regrets not teaming with his brother. He regrets like not signing somewhere, just the two of them as a unit saying like, no, you got to take us both. And like he said that on Hector's podcast. So maybe this is Hector trying to help his guy out because it's pretty well established that Hector's a really good boss. Like Hector seems like the type of guy I would definitely want to work for because he takes care of his guys just by all accounts. I mean, I've never met him, but it seems like he is very willing to take care of his guys. I mean, think about it. He brought that, that old optic crew with him to NRG when he formed the Huntsman. So it's not that out of the question to think like, 
okay, he's he's a good boss. And if Arsides really does want to play with his brother again, and Florida's willing to make that deal, I mean, if they're not going to play him, why not? And Chicago would have to buy him out of his contract. And they would have to pay Florida to do that. So they're getting money for a player they're not currently using. And it seems like they don't have much intention to use. So sure, Chicago will get better. But you have your lineup. So why not make that move? I think, and really, if you really want to do it, just make it a straight up swap. They don't want to play gunless in Chicago. You want to get rid of Prestini and still improve your roster, bring Gunless in. Him and him and Farrow would be incredible together if the chemistry works. Like they both have the skill to make a pretty good duo, the two of them, and the rest of that team, like like I've said before on the show, Florida is a good team. And I think maybe adding Gunless would put them over the edge, especially if you don't want to put Prestini back in the lineup because he's made it clear he wants to go back to playing with the bro- with his brother. Honestly, that's a win-win, I think. I think that is a very much a win-win situation for both teams. Like you get your guy and who I think both of them kind of want to get out of there cuz Gunless was definitely very not happy about General scrumming in his place, possibly taking his starting spot and no one telling him. So I think he wants to... I think that's a little rocky, that situation now with him in Chicago. So I could see him wanting to get out and go somewhere else. And if you're going to leave Chicago, you may as well go to another contender and... You can't do much worse than... You you couldn't do much better than Florida if you're leaving Chicago because Atlanta doesn't need you. Minnesota doesn't need you. So that basically just leaves Florida. And and Dallas wouldn't need you either. So that basically just leaves Florida. Like, if you're going to leave Chicago and go to another contender, Florida is your best bet. (laughs) Or just go to another team in general, Florida is your best bet because you're going to another contender. Any of the other teams who could maybe take that on, even with the improvement of adding him to the lineup, are not going to be title contenders. And Chicago and adding Prestini would, I think, shore up their title contention and place them firmly in the top three with Atlanta and Dallas. Because after the disaster of last weekend for Minnesota and Florida, Chicago has a chance to reclaim some of their shine in in Seattle. But we'll, we'll see. We'll, We'll see where this goes. I don't put too much stock in the Prestini story, at least not as much as I do getting rid of domination because the sources aren't as reliable. Like it's definitely out there, but I don't know if it's, 
it's got as much steam to it. Yeah, Reddit. Yeah, Dex Dexterra's got a story on it, but it was four days ago, and they haven't said anything new. It's just the potential. It's just the potential story out there. But until... Until I, I, that's one player transactions like that. That's one where I wait to see an, a, an official confirmation from player league or team. Because until then it is just a rumor. I think it would be a good move because clearly those two have chemistry playing together. And I think that would spread to the rest of the team pretty quickly because it seems like they all like playing with Arsides. So playing with his twin at the same time probably won't change all that much. And like Scump and Formal are the anchors of that team. So you slot any other good player into that lineup and you're probably fine unless you get someone who's just super toxic and doesn't gel with the team at all. I don't think Pristini is that. I think he is a ridiculously good player. He can get a little heated and emotional, but that's what you want in a good Call of Duty player. And all of the guys on Chicago can too, so he, he'd really fit right in. I could 100% see this happening, but I'm going to wait until I see something a little more official until I really start saying, like, okay, Chicago's back. Because until they make this move and prove it works, I'm skeptical. Because they've struggled the past couple events they've been at. And Seattle next week is their chance to bounce back a little bit. But until then, the rumors are fun. It it gives me stuff to talk about, so I'm not going to complain. And I like that we're getting speculation about player transactions finally because you didn't get too much of this in overwatch and really still don't other than roster implosions like vancouver during the season you don't really see too much in the way of player transactions like it's very rare you've had a few like outliers here and there but for the most part especially this year it's mostly just been guys retiring from overwatch rather than leaving and going to new teams so uh, I'm, I'm enjoying this because one, it's insane to me that they're considering switching the, the competitive format, like completely changing the map three game type in the middle of the season. We have just hit the midway point of the season and now they're thinking about doing this. Like, didn't these problems exist with domination already? Because I've played enough Domination to see this happen where if it falls the right way for one team, they're up and impossible to catch with like three minutes left. (laughs) And you still have to play out those three minutes until they can get to 200 points or 250 points, whatever 
the score limit may be depending on the game. Like, you have to do something better than that. And I think Capture the Flag will also pull in the casual audience a little bit better than Domination does. So I get why they're doing it, but why are they having this discussion in the middle of the season? But we'll see. We're still we're still a week away from Seattle. So I think when we get a little closer, we'll know more about both situations. But that's all I got for the COD League. What do you guys think? Obviously, hit me up on Twitter. Love hearing from the listeners of the show what you think about what's going on in mostly the world of esports right now. Because that's, that's really all there is to talk about. But... That's it for Kyle League. We're getting to Overwatch League next here on the mashup. So the last week of qualifiers before the May tournaments for both Asia and North America in the Overwatch League. And at least in North America, they are interesting to say the least because you've got a couple very even matchups and two gigantic mismatches. Vancouver versus Houston, pretty even. Florida versus Washington, pretty even. Dallas versus Paris, eh, shaky. Toronto versus Los Angeles Valiant, eh, that's, that's okay. Valiant are better, but not blow them out of the water. Then you have Los Angeles Gladiators versus Boston Uprising. Give me Gladiators 3-0. Philadelphia Fusion versus Vancouver Titans. Give me the Fusion 3-0. What a a tough draw for Vancouver that is. Their fourth game ever with this new roster of basically all contenders players. And they have to play the Fusion. And this is obviously everyone's last chance to lock in their seating for... The tournament and with high seed picks their opponent, you want to be as high as you can possibly get. And that that gives you a better chance for more money because each time you win, you get five thousand dollars. And if you win, you get forty. Split between six people. That's a lot of money. That's that's just a hair under $7,000 a player. That's pretty good. <laughs> that's that's really really good. They they did a they did a smart thing with this and for the tournament itself, no hero pools. <laughs> Which I initially thought were a really good idea but have made things muddled, confusing, and incredibly difficult to follow because every week there's a completely new meta. And this week, May, Tracer, Arissa, and Moira are out, so that's going to lead to some very interesting setups. I think with Sigma and Moira out, you're probably going to see a whole lot of dive, which... I mean, anyone who has listened to this show and knows my opinion on Overwatch knows I am very okay with, because Dive is great. <laughs> dive is what I came into Overwatch really enjoying about the game. Put the Winston and the Diva 
give me two really aggressive DPSs with Lucio and Ana on support. Give me that, and I am happy. That is that is my favorite variety of Overwatch, and I hope this pool leads to people playing like that. And yeah, I've definitely I've definitely soured on hero pools in the past couple weeks because other than the week the cat picked everything and we got people playing freaking Torbjorn in 2020, like the hero pools haven't been amazing. Like Paris playing that super aggressive style last week and, and beating the gladiators with it. That was great. That was, that was actually, that was actually like really good. I really enjoyed that and playing the, the super aggressive echo, which you're probably also going to see a lot of this weekend. Cause she's, she's not banned out. So may as well play her. Cause she's ridiculously powerful right now. And that's a good thing because I still think it's hilarious that we all just assumed she was a support. <laughs> you see, you see this like angel robot get out of a, get out of a, whatever that ball containment unit was in the, uh, the McCree and Ash short and everyone just assumes she's a support. Nope. <laughs> she is a DPS with a ridiculously powerful, full ultimate. What? <laughs> oh man. That's, I mean, I kind of, I kind of love it that Blizzard was just like, Oh yeah. I know we already have more DPSs than the other two roles combined. Let's add another one. <laughs> That everyone just assumed was a support when they first saw her at BlizzCon last or two years ago. Uh what a uh, what a game, what a game Overwatch is. I still love it, but this game is a mess. And hopefully, with some of these matchups, teams will that are in rough situations will hopefully start to turn things around because. I mean, Washington's one match this week. They probably could win it just because like Elevote, Name God, and Ark are also good players, even without Corey and Stratus. They could win. I mean, they need to find a second DPS because right now they don't have one. They just have Tuba. Like, Stratus is still listed on the roster on the website, but he is... He is not an active member of the Washington Justice. He may still be under contract, but he ain't playing anymore. So, I don't know what they're going to do. They'll probably have to go the Vancouver Titans route and just sign a contenders player. Or see if someone's willing to part with one of their bench players to get a semi-Overwatch League level DPS in their in their lineup. But I could I could see them beating Florida because I don't think Florida's very good, but I also don't trust Washington because even when they had Corey and Stratus, they weren't winning games they should have won. Like they won last week, but I think that's kind of the ride off into the sunset effect for Stratus. Because the entire team knew, like, hey, this is his last game. So we may as well we may as well win it for him. And it also helped that that game was against Vancouver. <laughs> so we'll have we'll have to see when it comes to comes to that one. I think they can win. 
but at the same time, I wouldn't be surprised to see them lose at all. Like they, they have to completely reshape their identity because both of their star DPS players are gone. <laughs> and like I said, they still have good players. Like I think now is when they build around Elevote instead of looking to replace Corey and Stratus as star DPS players. And I think building around Elevote could really work for them. He's got a strong hero pool when it comes to tanks. And hopefully that works for them because I see them as the Fusion's primary rival, at least right now with the Excelsior playing in Asia. And I want them to be good. I want Philly versus Washington to be interesting in as many sports as possible. And... That includes esports. And right now, it's really only interesting in Flyers versus Caps. <laughs> I want their both teams' esports equivalents to have the same kind of rivalry. Obviously, Flyers-Caps has way more history. That's that's a 40-year a rivalry, or 50-year rivalry, rather than a two-year one. So, obviously, there's a lot more history to the Flyers and Caps than the Fusion and the Justice. But still, I want them to have something similar. I mean, esports moves way quicker than traditional sports anyway, as far as establishing history, just because it's so new. So hopefully, hopefully next season, when they're playing in front of fans again, they can kind of spark something, because last year it was interesting, because they were on about the same level, because the fusion kind of sucked. This year, it's kind of boring. And hopefully they can get to an interesting semi-equal playing field come next season. As far as some of these other games, I think San Francisco Shock are going to beat Atlanta. They, out of all the teams who have had player loss, the Shock have rebounded the best. Like, they were playing really well without Sinatra, and they have continued to do so even after he officially left the team. These Sunday games, Paris is going to stomp Dallas, Philly's going to stop Vancouver, and Valiant are going to beat Defiant because the Defiant have definitely not bounced back very well from Kalex leaving. They have struggled mightily without him, and who could blame them? He was by far their best player. So they've got a long way to go to rebuild back to what they were this season. And even then that wasn't very good. So they're not in a great place right now. I don't see them doing too much in the tournament. Obviously my pick to win it all is the the best team in, in Overwatch League. It's the Philly fusion. Like they've gone undefeated in qualifiers. They're more than likely going to get the one seed. And they'll get to pick all their opponents basically straight or to start the tournament. And then they're on paper better than anyone else in the league. So whoever they pick, they should be able to beat. And then whoever meets them the rest of the way, they should also be able to beat. And they're going to get that 40 grand, at least, at least in my opinion. I mean, I'm not, they're my pick right now. Obviously, that could change if they embarrass themselves and don't make the finals. But I think if they make it there, they win. Like, that's just 
that's just kind of logic based on what I've seen from all the teams of Overwatch League at this point in the season, which is also actually past its midway point. Or we're right at the midway point because we're in between week 14 and week 15 because week 15 hasn't started yet. So we are exactly at the midway point of the 2020 Overwatch League season. And right now, it's pretty clear. It's abundantly clear who the best team is. I think Shock will continue to improve. They got robbed of a couple games. And I think they'll kind of climb the rankings and the both the straight-up standings and the power rankings as the uh, as the season goes on. But we'll well we'll see when it comes to uh, we'll see when it comes to the actual tournament time where everything is really going with all of this. And I, I like that they've done this. I like this tournament idea. Getting rid of hero pools it replaces the mid season tournament that initially got canceled when everything moved online. Like I like this. I like this idea. And hopefully by playoff time, they'll actually be able to play in person. So you can see North American teams versus Asian teams. Because right now that's a technological impossibility. Because playing at 250 plus ping would be god awful. Especially for a very fast moving game like Overwatch. I mean, playing any game at 200 plus ping is just terrible. But I couldn't in good conscience, want to subject pro players to that. And thankfully, Blizzard hasn't either. Because considering some of the decisions they've made in running Overwatch League, that may have been a thing they actually did. Was It's like, yeah, you're still going to play teams across the Pacific Ocean. Good luck. Good luck with that. But... I'm interested to see what you guys think about the uh, the lineup of games this weekend. What's your what's the one you're keeping an eye on the most? For me, I'd say it's actually San Francisco versus Atlanta because I think that's the most even matchup out of out of all of the North American teams going at it. At least as far as good teams go, because Florida versus Washington is also even. It's just they're both bad, and same with. No, that's actually the only bad versus bad matchup. Like everyone everyone else is either good versus good or a horrible mismatch. So we'll see we'll see who comes out of this weekend with good positioning in their respective regional tournaments. And hopefully the regional tournaments are actually interesting. I think they will be. Just because it's finally some variety of who teams are gonna be playing after rotating through like three teams for a month. Hopefully they they do something similar in June. I don't think they will, but now that they've found shared servers, like they can do a more interesting schedule. At least for North America, Asia kind of screwed because there's only seven teams playing over there. But we'll see. It, it's definitely not the best situation for Overwatch League. I think homestands were huge for the league this year. And hopefully they can get some of that back with home stands next year. But that's still months and months and months away. So it's it's definitely a wait and see game until then. But 
that's all I've got for Overwatch League. We'll wrap up the show with uh, some of the at least semi-good news from traditional sports that has been coming out just over the past couple days because it all it all kicked off the past couple days and it's been insane to try to keep up with. But I managed it and I have my opinion. So we'll get into that next here on the mashup. So this week has been nuts because you've had all the rumors from Cod League about changes to the format and Pristini moving to Chicago and all the stuff with Lena and TSM and now the phase bank stuff with CSGO wild. But around all of that, we've also had the first real, at least what feels like the most real plans to get sports back at some point soon since this all started, because they've all been at first, they were all just kicking the can down the road. Then golf came up with a plan. MLS set a definitive date for them to start training again. And then the UFC ran an event and that flipped the switch for everyone else immediately within a couple days. The NBA had talked to most of its all-star players about, do they want to come back? They all pretty much definitively agreed, yes. Gary Bettman said, we are going to finish the season. Multiple college commissioners are saying, we are confident we can have football in the fall. Like, the UFC coming back kicked everything off. The NFL didn't hurt either. The NFL definitely didn't hurt either, so I want to give them credit too. Like, doing the draft, going ahead with free agency, announcing the schedule with set dates and times. Even with the knowledge that those dates and times can change, saying, we right now are planning to play on these days in these cities at these times. That is a good thing. That is a very, very good thing. And it's the first... Like I said, it's the first time any of these plans have felt real since this all started. Because you had the stuff like, oh, a couple teams are going to open their practice facilities. Well, that's great. Or baseball has the, the Arizona plan. Like, I didn't buy the Arizona plan for a second. This current one feels more real, despite the fact that it has many, many problems. Because the players don't want to take another pay cut. And you know what? I agree. They already agreed to take a lower prorated salary because they're basically just going to play half the season with nobody in the building. Sure, the multi-billionaire owners are going to lose money from not getting ticket revenue, but they're still going to get TV revenue. Oh, you you won't break even one year. You know what the attendance numbers are going to look like next year when people can go to baseball games again? They're going to be through the freaking roof. And you all know it. If the owners can bite the bullet for a year and bring baseball back and can bring it and can get back to playing before the NBA, they get the eyeballs. If you can get back, whoever gets back first, you get the eyeballs and you get the credit for being back first because sure UFC was back first. NASCAR was back before them, but I'm talking the team sports here. If you're the first back, you get the credit for being the first back and everyone wants it. If the owners 
can just eat the cost of one year of not getting ticket revenue, the attendance for baseball games next season is going to go through the roof. Going to absolutely go through the roof. Because I have made it abundantly clear on this show, I am not part of team we need to shut everything down until there's a vaccine because there may never be one and this isn't sustainable. And I think most people actually know that they're just posturing for attention. So when fans are allowed back to baseball stadiums next year, heck possibly before the end of this year, if, if we're really lucky, Attendance is going to be through the roof. Well, maybe this year fans would be limited. But next year, spring training games are going to sell out. Opening day, everywhere, is going to sell out. Heck, the entire opening home series for everyone, for all 30 teams, will sell out next year. I am predicting that right now. Even the worst teams that have the worst attendance imaginable, they're going to sell out their opening weeks next year. I mean, that, that event is, what, 10 months from now? I'm making that prediction, and I'm going to stick to it. That everyone's opening series will sell out next year. Every single team in Major League Baseball. And I, I'm going to stick to that prediction. Like, I will, I will bookmark that after I'm done recording this show that, that I will acknowledge... <laughs> On the show next year, after opening week, if not all 30 teams sell out, I will acknowledge that I was wrong. I will 100% acknowledge that this opinion was wrong, but I don't think I'm going to be. And that's 10 months away. So I'm a little more confident in making predictions that far out, but let's be real here. That's a very likely possibility that people are just going to flock to baseball games next year. People are going to flock to college football in the fall. People are going to flock to college basketball in November. When the NBA and the NHL start up again with their next seasons, people are going to flock to that. It's going to be insane. And it's going to be amazing. And... The other thing that happened, California and Massachusetts want to be dumb and are saying, we're no, we will not reopen until there's a cure or a vaccine, which again is a very dumb opinion to have. It's a very dumb opinion to have. Arizona and Florida said, well, we have room for you and we will take anyone who can't play in their home state and wants to play here. I respect the balls on both of those governors to potentially open themselves up to ridicule. But for the most part, they're getting a lot of credit for that, which I think is good that people are crediting them rather than tearing them down. They have a few critics, obviously, but for the most part, this has been a, a widely respected decision. And I think it would be hilarious to, (laughs) Make the Patriots play in Florida the year 
the first year without Tom Brady in 20 years, you also make the Patriots play in Florida. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> you, know, you might want to think about that one, uh, Mr. Governor. You really want to end up doing that to, to your people who control whether or not you have a job? Make the Patriots play in Florida right after they lost Tom Brady? I don't think so. Good luck sticking to your guns on that one. Same with you, California. You got a lot of pro teams there that I think have a massive impact on your state's economy. What happens if they go to Arizona? Arizona gets that benefit because I don't think Californians would have a problem traveling to Arizona to go see their teams play. I love it. I respect the heck out of it. And I'm glad someone is willing to be first and take the leap. Because if you keep kicking the can down the road, you just look like an idiot. Stop kicking the can down the road and make a plan. Everybody. And thankfully, most of the sports leagues and a lot of states are. Which, again, is very much a good thing. Hopefully someone will talk some sense into into the politicians who are trying to extend this way longer than it has to be. But they're all really attention hungry, so I doubt it. Like I said, I don't want to get too much into that, but I'm glad people are making plans. And I think we're coming out to the end of this. Finally. We were initially told it's two two weeks. It's been over two months. Ugh, I can't wait for this to be over. But we're almost there. That's it for me. Hope you all enjoyed the show. Hope you all enjoy your weekend, whatever esports or heck, if you're going to watch NASCAR or UFC this weekend. Hope you enjoy that. And I will talk to you guys next week. See you then.